Thanks for inviting Mission City Church to join you wherever you are today. We've got a great message for you, so let's go ahead and get started. Well, good morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. I see some of the jerseys out there. I appreciate that. That's a, that's a good thing. You paid attention last week. I see some cowboy jerseys out there. Next year's the year, right? Every year. That's what we say. Next year. And then I uh, see some collegiate jerseys out there. Now, I know we're in San Antonio. I'm 100% all in on UTSA and the Roadrunners. But when your son has a jersey and it's jersey day, you're going to wear your son's jersey. That's just the way it is. So we're going to support uh, the Aggies this morning. So uh, appreciate you being here. Uh, let me just echo what Chuck said a little bit earlier. Man Summit coming up uh, in a couple weeks, March 3rd and 4th. Super excited about that. Men, you need to be a part of that. Like, I don't know if there's anything going on that weekend that's more important for, than you being challenged with other men uh, to grow in godliness and be the men that, that God has called you to be. And then next weekend, uh, be praying because it is the weekend, which is our students' big uh, retreat, and we're excited about that. We have like 460 kids uh, going to that retreat, so uh, pray for the adults that are going as well. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Hey, we're finishing up the series we've been on. Uh, really, this is the fifth week, just talking about family. We've called this series Homework because that's exactly what we need to be doing. We need to be putting in work at home. And as, as parents, we need to put in work. As parents, to be the parents that God has called us to be. In our marriages, husbands and wives, we need to put in work uh, to be the, the men and women that God has called us to be. Understanding that the family was created by God. Not, not just created, but created to reflect and show His glory on the earth. That's the purpose of our families, that people would look at our families and they would see the glory of God. And there's been a, a really large challenge on our men because God has called you to lead your home, not to be passive, not to step back and allow your wife to fill in the voids, but to, to be the men that God has called you to be. God has called you to pastor the little church called your home. And when we need to take that responsibility seriously, and then as parents, God has called us together to disciple our kids. And we've said from the beginning, there are no perfect families here. We're not saying that, you know, hey, most of the people here have it great, and just a few of you that feel bad, you're, you're the ones that don't have it together. We're all struggling when it comes to, to family, and we're all striving to be who God has called us to be, and hopefully growing in that. So again, as we think about discipleship of our kids, I just kind of want to go back and spend a little bit more time on that uh, this morning that your kids understand are being discipled either by you or by the world, but they're being discipled and it's intentional. So as we think back and look back at the Apostle Paul's instructions in Ephesians chapter six, verse four. Let me just read this again for us. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So as we think about this verse, as we look at this verse, there's really uh, kind of a, a negative part when he's talking about provoking your children to anger. There's a positive aspect, training and giving instruction in the Lord. And there's some things that, that we see here that Paul is saying as parents, we have to avoid these things. And there's some things that we need to do. And so right from the beginning, can we just all agree, if you're a parent, that parenting is hard? Can I get an amen on that one? 
Parenting is hard. That, that is difficult. Like for a lot of reasons, like just what kids cost alone makes it difficult, right? If, if you have kids, you understand this, that kids are expensive. When they're young, they're growing all the time. You got to buy them new clothes all the time. Like if you had boys, they just go through seasons where their foot grows like two sizes in like a month and a half. You're like, I just bought these shoes. What are we, what are we doing? Kids are expensive. If you have teenage boys, you have to pay for food. I don't know if you remember that. I have a 16-year-old son right now that's growing. He's gained 25 pounds in the last eight months. He's eating and eating and eating and eating, and I'm paying and paying and paying and paying. And then you have college, and you have cars, and you have insurance, and parents are just, uh, kids are just expensive. And while parenting is, is hard and it's challenging, I think it's even more difficult to be a kid today, to grow up in this world, in this society. There's massive external and internal pressures, external pressures that are making parenting hard. Life used to be much simpler. If you're my age, maybe a little younger, older, you think back to when you were growing up. Life used to be just simpler. Maybe you grew up and you went out and you, you played. Remember that? You go outside. Remember when you go off? How many parents you remember this? You would go off in your bike, on your bike, all day long. Your parents would have no clue where you were, and nobody was concerned. You just showed back up at night. That was our rule in the summer. You left in the morning. My mom would put a sandwich outside on the porch at lunch with some Kool-Aid. I would eat a sandwich, put my head in the door, I'm alive, and I would leave. Had to be back by the time the streetlights came on. That was the summertime. That's what we did. You spent time with your family. You ate with your family. The family was a, a much more tight-knit unit. You spent time with your family at church. There were simpler times. And there was uh, incremental learning and exposure to information only as a child, as we were growing, when we had the mental and psychological capacity to handle the more challenging issues of life. In the past, there was controlled exposure. We, we could limit, we could control when, when our kids learned things. Remember when you were growing up? I don't know if you, you ever played with models. Maybe you built models. And on the model, really big, it would say, you know, up to age 10 up to age 12, up to age 14. And I remember very specifically, like I was 10 and I wanted a model that said up to 12 or not under 12. My mom wouldn't get it for me. You're not 12. You can't build this model. I had to wait two years. It was excruciating. But that's the way that it was. There was, there was parental control. And, and we could kind of, uh, of craft a, a situation where our kids could learn things and about things at the appropriate times in ways that they could understand. Things were age appropriate. But as we look at our society today, childhood in many ways is gone. You don't just go outside and play. You don't just go outside and ride your bike. You don't build forts. You don't burn the woods down. None of those things happen anymore, right? You're in youth sports. It's controlled. You play. You don't get to imagine anymore. It's organized and coached and structured. And there's pressure. That's what kids do today. 
Several of the psychological, secular studies that I read this week talked about how television and internet and social media have completely eliminated childhood. That parents no longer can control or decide what information their children are exposed to. That the protections that we're to place around our kids are gone. That we hand them a device because we don't want to talk to them when they're five and six and seven years old. And there's unlimited exposure, uncontrolled exposure, adult information with no plan and no sequence and no restraint. That they're bombarded by things that they can't process and they can't understand. And God has placed you as the parent in your child's life to disciple them and walk them through this process. You have boys who are eight and nine years old who are looking at sick pornography on the internet and becoming addicted. And their minds don't know how to process it. The largest group, I don't know if you knew this, the largest group that is, that is getting hooked on pornography right now is little girls. Little boys and little girls, their first exposure to sexuality is what they see in pornography. And it frames and shapes their mind about what intimacy is supposed to be. They can't handle those things at that age. It frames their understanding of the opposite sex in a twisted way. The internet exposes our kids to temptations and challenges. Their minds and emotions are not mature enough for them to handle. And they're facing massive temptations. Think about sexuality. Kids can't process all of that. The fact that you have to have a conversation when you're, with your kids when they're six years old and five years old about sexuality and homosexuality and gender. Their, their frontal lobes aren't even developed yet. They can't even process these things. How many of you, when you were growing up, wanted to be Superman or Wonder Woman? You, you know that's physically impossible, right? You were just playing. You were a kid. You were immature. The same thing's true. You can't be a boy and become a girl. It's physically impossible. But our minds, when our kids are young, they don't understand how to process that. That's what the parents are for. That's why God gives us his word to to help guide and direct and, yes, protect our kids from the exposure that they're they're all, that's all around them. Listen to this. This is interesting. Just kind of helps you understand. I hope this, this makes sense. From ages 34 to 64, which is the largest percentage of our population, only 35% think that they're transgender or sexually fluid. The smallest percentage of our population is ages 13 to 28. I mean, 13 uh, to 24, yet they make up the highest percentage of those who think they're transgender or gender fluid. What does that show us? Well, that as you mature, as your brains process, as if you can take this information in and, and walk through it, that a smaller percentage of people have that confusion. But when you're young and your brain's not developed, the largest percentage does. Why? Because we can't process that yet. Think, think about violence. In 1950, one in 570 violent crimes in the U.S. were committed by teenagers under the age of 15. Only 170 total 
1950. In the entire United States, in 2000, it was one in five under the age of 15. Violent crimes committed in the U.S. Why is that? Because of all the information, everything that our kids are exposed to, at inappropriate ages and parents not being parents in many ways. So there's external challenges and it makes it difficult. Parenting is hard, but there's internal challenges. And this is what I wanna make sure we understand. We can limit our kids' exposure. We, we can try to shelter them the best that we can, but understand it doesn't mean that your kids are born in, innocent. They're born with a proclivity to wanna sin. It's called a sin nature. The seed of every sin known to man dwells in the heart of every child. Our kids come out of the womb desiring to sin. The world only helps them go where the sin in their hearts already want to go. That's why God gave us parents. Children aren't born seeking God and righteousness. If you want to disagree with me, just go back to your own kids. What's the first word that they said? No. What is that? That's rebellion. My parents love me, brought me into this world, and I don't want to mind them. What's the second word that they learn? Mine. Selfishness. What what is the root of all sin? The foundation of all sin is, is selfishness and rebellion. No, and mine. They come out of the womb with it. It's the sin nature that they, that they have. The heart of your children's no different than your and my heart. All that's required for, for a child to live a tragic life is to let that child run without correction after the evil desires that are already in their heart. If you look at a kid and you want to blame it on their parents, it's not so much what their parents did, it's what their parents didn't do to help them to be the young men and young women that God has created them to be. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen, just stresses this point. He says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's the sin nature that all of us are born with. We're not born wanting to be good. We're born wanting to be bad. So we understand that there's external pressures on our kids, but there's internal pressures. That they're created with a sin nature and a parent's job is to instruct and correct them. To help them to be able to learn and live at home and have conversations with their parents in a safe place. To learn these things and understand these things so they could function as biblical men and women in society. That's what we're called to do. And understand the only genuine change that can come in a child's behavior, or our behavior for that matter, is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Teaching your kids at a young age that they're sinners. It's not a bad thing to say, hey, in your heart, the reason you get angry, the reason you get mad, the reason you want to say no, the reason you want to say mine, it's because, and you can have your little kid's Bible storybook, it's because we're sinners. Our hearts don't want to naturally follow God. That's why God showed his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
That God sent his son to to live on this earth, to live a a perfect life so that we could turn to Jesus, so, so that we could be set free. God wants to give you, and you teach your kids this at a young age, God wants to give you a new heart. That's how our kids ultimately change. So I think we can all agree, parenting is hard. Parenting is difficult, but as difficult as it is, we have to understand that children are gifts from God. You might be thinking, oh, you don't know my 17-year-old, right? It doesn't matter. Children are still a gift from God. Psalm 127.3, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward that our kids are a gift and they're a responsibility and they're a privilege that they give us as parents. So look back again at our verse, Ephesians chapter six and verse four, fathers do not provoke your children to anger. Now one of the things that was interesting as I was reading this this week, just studying it again, Anytime you read God's word, you have to understand the context. Who was it written to originally? Paul is writing to fathers in Ephesus. Now understand the culture in Ephesus, fathers held incredible power. They had absolute authority over their family. A a father in Ephesus could sell his child into slavery. A, A father in Ephesus could have his children work in the fields with chains on. A father in Ephesus could punish his kid any way he wanted to, including execution. So understand the context. When Paul says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, he's not just saying, hey, don't be harsh. He's saying, hey, don't sacrifice your kid. Don't sell your kid to slavery. Like, love your child. Show them the kind of love that our Father shows us. And so that's what we're called to do as dads and as parents, to love our kids, to not provoke them to anger. Now, I don't know all of you in here. My assumption is none of you are selling your kids into slavery. I think I'm probably on safe ground with that. Probably none of you are are binding your kids' hands in chains and making them work in the fields. Hopefully none of you are executing your kids. So those aren't our issues, but how do we today provoke our kids to anger? And on your note sheet, I put several down for you. I'm going to go over a few others, but there's other things beyond what I'm saying. But some of the ways that we provoke our kids to anger, we spoil them, give them everything they want. Don't don't teach them in any way to to deny themselves. Don't teach them delayed gratification. We spoil them, they get angry. We nag them instead of disciplining them. We bring up over and over past failures and mistakes. Instead of being like our heavenly father God, what does he do? He disciplines us, he forgives us, we move on. Some other ways that we make our kids angry When your kid throws a temper tantrum, you give in. What are you teaching them? And it's not just when they're four, five, and six. Some of you have 16, 17, and 18-year-olds that still do this. What are we teaching them when when we give in to their temper tantrums? We're teaching them that they're in charge, that you run this house, not mom and dad. You're in charge. We, we, We anger our kids by being overprotective, that at age-appropriate times, 
that they're given certain freedoms to make certain choices and sometimes mess up and face the consequences. But they can't grow up their entire life without any opportunities to make their own choices, given no freedoms. Another way we make our kids angry is you show favoritism. When one of your kids is certain that you love another kid more, that's favoritism. When you say you need to be more like your sister, you need to be more like your brother, they're perfect, you're not. That's showing favoritism, that angers kids. Have unrealistic achievement goals. This is difficult in our society. Some of us as parents crush our kids with the pressure to what, excel in school? To be good at sports? To be good at music? To be popular? To be successful? And here's the deal, nine out of 10 times, that comes from us wanting to live through our kids something that we didn't do. And what does it do? It crushes our kids. It it angers our kids. Neglecting time with your kids, it makes them angry. I I remember one of my sons had a friend over just talking around the the table, talking about life. I'll never forget him just looking at me. This is just a teenage boy and says, all I really want is for my dad to be at home. Like all the frustrations, all the struggles, everything, it all boiled down to, I just would like my dad to be home. And then speaking hurtful words to your kids. How many of you grew up hearing the the little phrase, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me? Anybody heard that before? You know that's not true, right? How many of you can think back as adults to things that your parents said? Right now, you can look back and go, that time that my mom said I was stupid. That that time that that my dad said I was lazy. That time my parents said that I was ugly. Words hurt. And it makes our, our kids angry. So Paul says, don't provoke your children to anger. Have positive instruction. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord that we have to bring up our kids with intentionality. We bring up our children. It doesn't happen automatically. And I realize for most of us, nobody handed you a playbook when you had kids. It's something that you just had to figure out. God gave us one, but we don't turn to it very often. What does this look like? What am I supposed to do? Well, we have to have a plan. There has to be intentionality. There there has to be a strategy. We want to sit down with our kids from a young age and and read and explain God's word in an age-appropriate way. That's what we're called to do. That's why parents are the primary disciples of your kids. But, But let's not negate the significance of ensuring that our kids are involved in the kids and student ministries at church. Not to replace you, But wouldn't you want to do everything possible to have your kids in situations where God could do a work in their hearts and lives? Think about that. The weekend. Here's a whole weekend where they're going to get away from everything. Do you know on our weekend trips with students and at camp, they don't get to have their cell phones? I mean, there's like withdrawal for about 10 hours, like drugs or something. 
But all of a sudden, guess what? My mind and my heart can be quiet, and all of a sudden, I can hear God speaking. It's amazing what happens. As you think about your life, as you think about your schedule, don't negate the significance of your church and the kids' ministry and the student ministry in your kids' lives. It's part of, it's not all of, it's part of the plan. It's part of being intentional. It's part of the instruction of the Lord. So as parents, we need to address the heart problems and not just the behavior problems. Mark chapter 7, verses 21 and 22, listen to what he says. He says, from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Where do these things come from? They come from the heart. Luke talks about this in Luke chapter 6. The good person. Out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So it's easy as parents to to address behaviors, but ignore the heart. If my kid just acts right, if my kid is just polite, if my kid just doesn't get in trouble, But the reality is behavior flows out of the heart. We need to understand and know the heart of our kids. There's a story told about a little girl who was on an airplane. And she was jumping up and down on her seat, just kind of being really distracting and bothering people. And the stewardess came over a couple of times and asked her to sit down. And finally, the stewardess had to come over and be a little, little firm with her and say, young lady, I need you to sit down. You're distracting other people around you. And the little girl looked at her and she said, I may be sitting down physically, but in my mind, I'm still jumping up and down. In my heart, I'm still jumping up and down. See, it's, it's the heart issue. You, you can force your kids to conform, but you're not cultivating their hearts. And ultimately, for our kids to be the kids that God desires them to grow up to be, the young adults that God desires them to grow up to be, we have to cultivate their hearts, to to talk about their heart, to, to take them back to God's word. And this is who you are. This is who God created you to be. Sinfulness in their hearts is the source of all of their actions. And again, helping them to understand God loves you too much to let you stay here. God wants to change your heart. God wants to give you a new heart. The the, the Bible doesn't say the goal of parenting is to get our kids under control. It doesn't say that the goal of parenting is our kids would get straight A's or they'd be varsity athletes or they'd be popular or successful. The goal of parenting is your child's salvation and sanctification. That your kids, when they leave your house, when they're adults, young adults, They they have the resources and ability to be able to function biblically in the world. You do understand when you send your kids off to college that the goal of many of the professors and culture in general is to transform your kid's mind and heart towards the culture. You understand that, right? That, That it is an active, planned out agenda and goal. And they're very successful at it. 
If your kid just goes off to college and the only thing they have to stand on is their parents' faith, they're in trouble. We teach them, we help them to understand what does God's word teach? What does it say about your heart? Why do we believe what we believe? Why do we do what we do? What does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? What does it mean to pursue holiness? It's our kids' hearts, our kids' salvation, our kids' sanctification. Again, bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, that they would understand, that they would know. You know, discipline is part of that. I know our culture is, is very negative about discipline. We talked about this last week, that discipline is reactive. But discipline is important. It, it, it's both punishment for bad behavior and rewards for good behavior. That as parents, we set boundaries in advance and we explain why these boundaries are there and they understand if they cross these boundaries, if they mess up, we don't have to fight about this. Those boundaries were already established, but there's going to be discipline. The discipline is biblical. The, the discipline helps them understand in life there are rewards for good behavior and there's consequences for bad behavior. So, so Paul says, hey, you have to discipline your kids. Not just instruction, that's also part of it. Instruction is, is information that we're teaching them. So there's external consequences and rewards plus informational instruction. Instruction doesn't always work, especially if you have a little boy. Little boy's acting crazy, little boy's going nuts, he's pouring Kool-Aid on the carpet just because he wants to, doing all of these things. And mom's like, okay, let me sit down, let me talk to you. Let me explain why we don't do these things. And he's like, okay, because of that, you don't get to play video games for the rest of the weekend. Little boy squeals like a stick pig, but he understands my actions have consequences. That the discipline is something that God gives us as a gift, not in anger. The Bible says that God disciplines those what? He loves. Well, he's my heavenly father. He's my example as, as a father, and, and he disciplines. So there's a, there's a balance of, of discipline and instruction. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son. He who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Now, please don't email me this week and tell me that I talked about child abuse. It's not what I'm saying. Discipline looks different for different people. But understand when it comes to parenting, the discipline is a part of it. We introduce to our kids and help them understand that decisions have consequences. So there's discipline and there's instruction in what? The ways of the Lord. See, the goal of parenting is not a perfect child. I haven't seen one yet. It's not just a well-behaved child. I've seen some of those or a star athlete. But, but a child who's launched into the world, who's trusted Jesus as his or her savior, who has the ability to grow and thrive as adults, biblically walking in the spirit. That's our goal. That our kids would, would grow up and when they're not in our home anymore, they still love Jesus. When they grow up and they're not in our home, they're still a part of the body, the church, and they still love Christ's bride. That, that's what God calls us to. Parents, you are the primary disciplers 
of your kids. Equip them to follow God with their whole hearts. And understand that parenting never ends. A lot of this may, may have seen kind of pointed towards parents with younger kids. But the reality is you never stop parenting. When they're 18, 19, 25, 35, 45, it may look different, but you're still parenting. And you're still giving instruction, you're still giving advice, you're still coaching. And parenting's difficult, but you're not alone. It's part of why we have the faith family. It's part of why we have the church, not so we can walk in and put on our mask and act fakey like our families are perfect, but to go, you know what? I don't know about you. Have you ever struggled in this area? Did your kid ever tell you no? Yeah, like three times today. Really? So it's not just me? No, not just you. What, what, about, what about the Bible? Like, how do you read the Bible to your kids? I mean, that's why we have each other. To be able to talk about these things, you're not parenting alone. And I want to put up on the screen again, we had it last week, the QR code of resources that we put together for you as parents. That, that these are dozens and dozens and dozens of books and articles and Bible verses, age-appropriate things for your kids, parenting, marriage, husbanding, uh, being a wife, being a godly family, all of these things, resources that we endorse, that we encourage you to take part in as a family. Because again, you're not alone. And home is work. But God's with us. God gave us his Holy Spirit to live inside of us as parents. God gave us his word to give us direction as parents. And God gave us a faith family to encourage us and challenge us and support us and love us as a family as well. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the truth of your, your word and God, the significance and the importance of parenting. That, that it's the, the most important thing. If, if we're parents, that you're gonna give us the responsibility of, of shaping a young soul, someone created in the image of God. Lord, I pray that you would encourage parents today. And we all look back, all this week I've looked back on all the things I wish I would have done differently. All the, the ways that I wasn't fully informed of, of what it meant for me as a, as a godly dad. What does that look like? What am I supposed to do? God, I pray that we'd be encouraged, that we'd be in challenge. God, I pray for change. Lord, the goal is not to just feel convicted and walk out of here and say, well, I kind of feel convicted today. The goal is change. God, how can you change my heart to be a better dad? How, how can you change my heart to be the mom that you've called me to be? And even beyond parenting, how, how can you change my heart to be the husband you've called me to be? How can you change my heart to be the, the wife that you've called me to be? God, the family was created by you to bring you glory. So Father, I, I pray that we would do the homework that we need to do. That it's not just us trying harder, but it's us surrendering and allowing you to do this work through us, God. God, I pray for strong families. I pray for strong marriages. 
I pray that our families would, would bring you glory and that people could look at our families and, and see Christ. Father, strengthen our families. The world wants to destroy our families. God, give us strength. Father, help us first and foremost to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. In the same way that ultimately Jesus changes our kids' hearts, if you're an adult and you don't know Jesus, ultimately your heart's only changed through Jesus as well. That he has a plan and a purpose and it's good for your life that he showed it and he sent his son to die for you. So God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus, I pray for salvation. That's, that's the beginning point. That's the foundation of everything. So God, again, we love you. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. At Mission City Church, we love people and love how the good news of Jesus transforms lives and we want to see it more every day. Stop by missioncity.church to check out what we are up to that you can be a part of. It is also where you can share a gift to support the ministries of Mission City in San Antonio. Be blessed. Till next time.